Fantastic. Okay, this is our last Sunday here at this church, and it's been, oh, ten years in here. And we're going to start at the new place, and super exciting. I think it's so fun and, and really neat that the Lord, even where we are right now, because we're at this central piece, this moment, and it's two pieces. We're going to do a piece here and a piece at the new spot. So there's a part two. You've got to come back next week. But here it is. I think about it this way. I think, boy, it's so hot. It makes me think when I was a kid and we used to drive from L.A. up to my grandma's house in the woods in Oregon. And when you went through the Mount Shasta area, it was just so hot. I want to say it was before there was air conditioning in cars, but I'm not that old. There was air conditioning. It just never seemed to reach the back seat. So you're in the back seat and you're trying to, you're sweating and it's hot and, and, and it's like, oh man, I don't want to do this. But you know what? I never really thought that. I mean, I tried to distract myself by reading a book, but I'd get car sick or the different things you do to squabble with your, your brothers. But, but, but I never thought, oh, I just hate this drive. I always thought I get to go to grandma's. It was the sweetest thing ever. It was so amazing. Grandma and grandpa up in the woods. It's just fantastic. I knew the destination. I wasn't the driver. I was being driven. I was in a car. And, and there I was headed the way I was supposed to go. That's what our church is about. We have found something. An announcement. We call it the gospel. That says something so central to you and to me that it changes everything. But it's very much that we're in a car and we're headed to the right place because of something someone else has done. That's it. And, and in, our, in our Bible and the message of Christianity is about what God is doing. John's been writing about this amazing Savior Jesus, and you know him. You, you, you've heard of him, and he's building it up, and he's built it up all the way, right? He's the great I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door of the sheep. And all these things John's been building to comes to a head today in our text. In a very simple statement John makes. And it's everything he's built for. And all the miracles Jesus did and all the feeding of the thousands and the lepers that he healed and the, the blind people he opened their eyes to are all just arrows to what we see today. And so John has built this up, these incredible metaphors, these stunning stories of Jesus. These, we know it's all part of the, the journey, but it's not the main course. And the main course we get to see today, he gets to the center of all the I am's and all the healings and all the signs and all the wonders. Because what happens here today in our text is the event that changes everything. I am not exaggerating. This church, the Lord's church, is founded on this being the center of everything. If there's something to add to what Jesus does, then we are on a false church. And, and we proclaim with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength that Jesus loved us and loves us still and died for us. And it is finished. That's what we look at. We look at the world through these lenses. We start on this ground. We build on this foundation. We renew our minds in this message. We see over and over, even in Christendom, how people leave this message to go play in other playgrounds. 
They functionally replaced this center with something else, anything else. And our commitment is, us church is founded on, we don't move. We're free because of what Jesus has done for us. And what has he done? <laughs> but yes, Dex. John has spent 19 chapters building it up, and today it happened. So we're going to go super slowly because Jesus, our king, he went out, and so does the message. And John very carefully, very precisely is showing you what he's been doing all along, which is killing your fleshly idea that you accomplish and getting your eyes right back on Jesus. So that's what we're doing. We're starting in John 19, verse 17, and it is the king went out. It's the journey we're on. Let's take a look. I just want to look slowly at a few verses today, and then we'll finish the whole scene next week. Here we go. And he went out, the Bible says. It's kind of interesting. This starts in the middle of a sentence. They, the sentence that started last time was verse 16 says, so they took Jesus. But then this new verse starts. And, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. It's worthy of everything, right? Walk through it with me. Will you just think about this with me again? I know you're familiar. But will you think? And he went out. Subject who? Jesus. Active verb. The action taken was by the subject. Right? His action was to go out. He went out bearing his own cross. No one aiding him. But you say, Dax, but I know other accounts. You know, Jesus was so weak that he was falling down and they got this guy named Simon of Cyrene to come help him carry his cross. All true, right? But John is very particular to tell you. He wants you to see. Jesus is doing this alone. No one's aiding him. He's theological, right? He wants you to get the point. Jesus is doing this alone. Jesus went out alone. Jesus, who could balk, who could make them carry him or could just refuse, he faced forward and he went, carrying the means of his death, his imminent death. He went to the place of his death, Golgotha. And in case you're like slow, it's the place of a skull. That's not pirate skull and crossbones, but it's the same idea, right? Because what do you have to do to have a skull? You've got to be dead. That's like the eyes gone and the flesh gone from your face and all the stuff gone. And then you've got the bones underneath and the bones underneath is the skull. The dead bone. Jesus goes there. And then verse 18. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And now there's other people. The other people don't aid him. They do not offer him comfort or help. They do not support or empathize or guide. They crucify him. They pound in the nails. They hoist him up. And, and so there he is. With two others, right? There's two other people there, and the significance of that is they're criminals. They're people who are being crucified. They're outlaws. That's what's going on. 
This is the death of criminals, of murderers, of sinners. He's an outlaw, this king, this Jesus. The law has passed its judgment on him, and the authority has spoken, and he is considered stricken and rejected and crucified, and this is our Savior. This is the culminating event of John. This is everything John's been pointing to. And all the beautiful metaphors of Jesus, the bread of life as he feeds 5,000, and Jesus, the, the, the amazing carer of people, he's the door of the sheep, or the resurrection, and the, all these images that we go, I love these images, but they're all pointing to this. And John, very carefully, in just two sentences here, Precisely laying out what's going on. Jesus goes out bearing his own cross. And they, humanity, people, they kill him with the other condemned people. Hear this. Saying, Swanson, I know this. Dax, I know. I know what you're trying to tell me. Stuff. I know. Yeah, we, John knows you know. You know what's been established? You know this. You've heard this. What? What have you heard already? We already know from the text that Jesus is the Son of God. We already know from the text that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. John's laid it all out for us, and it's in the context of knowing this that we have this event. This is the act of salvation for you. This is it. You see, Jesus does it. What does that mean? It means we don't do it. Our sin put him there. Mankind's actions have been to push him aside because we are constantly blinded, leprous, broken, while we think we're seeing and pure and working our way up. Jesus is not an example here. This is the act of salvation. He is saving us. He is our Savior. The king accepted condemnation and he died horribly for you and me. He did that. His blood for us, his stripes for us, his life for us, him for us, his victory here, so upside down from anything you would think of as a victory. And this is what changes everything. And if you've been around Christianity for more than five minutes, you already know this. You know this is the act of salvation. You know he's saving us. You know he's our Savior. And all the gospel writers present, the entire Bible points to this. Jesus for us. We receive it. We hear it. These words, accepting this truth, trusting that he did it. And this is where it's been the burden of our church. Because so often... People affirm this and they agree with this and they're with this and then they stop. Don't stop. Right? Because if, if what happened here is true, it necessarily means you did not do it. He did. And so the word that we preach, the practices that we have are all to reinforce and to establish this. What's the this? Well, it's us taking in the the body and blood of Jesus, right? I'm receiving it. I don't do it. I receive it. It's not me coming pure to Jesus. Oh, look, Jesus, I have my offering by which you'll pat me on the head and say how pleased you are with me. No. It's me, broken sinner, receiving the body and blood of Jesus. That's communion. 
It's not me being worthy and having cleansed myself and making sure I've bathed and perfumed and then going to the waters of baptism. It's me saying, I want to identify with the death of Jesus and I want to be brought up in life in him and my only hope is him forever. His death ours, his resurrection ours, that's the waters of baptism. And it's often said, maybe you've heard it even from here, it says our flesh dies in the waters of baptism, but it's the, the flesh is an awfully good swimmer. The biggest fight is always that we do think we do. At least a little. We help in some way. That there's a duty, a role, an obligation, a peace. It isn't just Jesus and us trusting his work and his promise. It's also us improving us with a little help from my friend Jesus. And in pulpit after pulpit, people present this stuff. That's the worst to me. Well-meaning Christians who follow the traditions of men and not the Bible, they teach what they want to be true, not what is. And John presents to you and I today what is. Jesus went alone, and we crucified him. St. Dax, I'd like some examples, please. I give examples all day, because this is the tension that people have all over. And if you've read the Bible for yourself even, and if you're not careful, and if you don't get this peace, you say, man, this is the peace that you need. This is the journey that I'm on. I realize I'm in this car. Here I am, and so my lens has changed, and I see everything with this lens. If you don't see with this lens, the lens... That it's about the gospel and the law, which is the beauty, wonderful rules of God driving us to the gospel. If you don't see this, you won't get it right. Let me give you some examples. Like, like for example, there's Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is a wonderful letter. Paul writes to, as a thank you to the Philippian church. And, and he writes in chapter 3, well, I know I have no righteousness of my own, he says. In fact, look. I'll stick it on the board. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them of rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith is the word for trust. I trust what Jesus did. So I'm counting everything, and then Paul has already listed off the good things he does, right? The good works that, that, that you'd say, oh, these are the things we want. And he says, no, I've got nothing except for Christ and what he's done for me. Yeah, you say, come on. That's right. Amen. Because that's what Jesus has done, right? But, but even there you say, I see it. I see it well, Dax. I can see it in that passage. But then you bring up other stuff. Like you go back just one chapter there. Look at this one. Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do, 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 you, do you say, okay, whoa, 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 then people preach. I'm, I'm going to preach this, and I'm going to take off my lenses that Jesus did it all, and I'm in the back seat of the car going to the journey I'm supposed to be on. And instead you go, I've got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm going to go see the list, and I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to work on it. And, and, and why aren't you working harder on your salvation? Not realizing that the work out in awe is because of the next verse that's coming. Because it says, for it's God who works in you. 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the gospel statement that says you're in the car. And God's at work on you, and you're not at work on yourself. And you know what? That's amazing. The cross is true. What Jesus does is he did it, and it's finished. And he did it. And then you're working out. You're thinking through. You're trying to actually lean more on this amazing truth that your flesh is constantly fighting, that you don't have any skin in the game. Without the lenses, you go the wrong way, you see. There's lots more. First John chapter one, where John writes that if we walk in the light, he's faithful to forgive us all of our sin. And then people go, well, if you're not careful, well, I think walking in the light is not sinning. But then, you know, if you're not sinning, then you don't need forgiveness for your sin. So it's not that. Walking in the light is this walk of saying all of me is the one who crucified Jesus and my sin required his crucifixion and my sin disqualifies me. And yet this amazing hope is that if I acknowledge and I'm humble about just saying I don't have anything. Dude. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And again, my flesh, if you leave the message, you go straight into this. I love Jesus. I love God. I need to be godly. It's okay that I say it like that, right? Godly. And godliness. Because godliness is you working on you. Godliness, I think, because I know what that is. That's me being better. That's me. So, so, so you say, okay, that's without that godliness piece, I'm not even going to go to heaven. I'm not even on the road. I'm not even in the car. I'm not all that stuff. And what have I done to you? I've played a terrible trick on you. I skipped a bunch of verses. Let's go back just a few verses and just look. He, says, he said, right, I want you to know how to behave in the household of God. And then he says this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Did you hear Steve read that earlier? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in it. What's godliness? Godliness is Jesus. Is that right? That's the Bible. Godliness is the person of Christ. Godliness is what Christ is. You say, well, godliness is profitable for you. What's that? That's Christ for you. That's you staying right in the message and never leaving. That says Jesus Christ is for you on your worst day, on the things that you don't do well. When you fall down, who's for you? Jesus is for you. Why? Because that's the mystery of godliness. What is it not? 
me climbing to be better. That's the message. It's right there. It's crazy, and people skip right over it, right? I so want you to behave rightly in the church, and godliness is a mystery. It isn't your increasing moral behavior. It's not your good deeds. Oh, no, it's what we read today. It is Jesus Christ who died for you. He came, he was affirmed, he was seen, he was proclaimed, he was believed, and he lives, and he is our godliness. Trust him. Not about your bodily training, not about your self-discipline. Not, it is about you staying fast, holding to, trusting, depending on Jesus. Not as a work, but as our only hope. I'm not like him. You aren't either. You are not a mini-Jesus. <laughs> Do I have to say that? You don't look anything like him to start. But you're not a mini Jesus. That, that, that's our thing. He's our Savior, right? That's what this simple little account that John gives us this morning is about. Jesus went out carrying his own cross. They crucified him with the evil ones. You say, well, Dax, wait, don't I have to be like him? I mean, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. You will. You will. When you see him as he is, John says in 1 John chapter 3, we will be like him. And you do in certain ways. I mean, Philippians 2, I, I pointed at it a couple times this morning. It's just an example. We could take a lot of examples. But he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Wow, I'm in the same mind as Christ Jesus. What's the mind? Who humbled himself. That's what we're doing, right? I'm saying I have no hope in me. My only hope is what's been done for me. That's called humbling yourself. And Jesus, who only did what the Father wanted, and, and he was humbled himself, and, and, and he didn't try and change the circumstances and change those things. He, he kept his eyes on the Father's will for him, and he's got a special connection with the Father I don't have. I'm not Jesus. But I can have the same mind. I'm in the back seat of the car. I'm on the journey. I'm not driving. I'm so excited to get there. That That's like Christ. This is our message, you know, that Jesus Christ is for you. The law is higher than you can ever do, and the gospel is sweeter than you can ever imagine, and you simply receive it. This is the message that God puts out. And it's not that there's not isn't like wisdom in the Bible, like coaching on how to live your life. Well, what the law says about being a good child or a good parent or a good spouse or a good worker. But the message is always that you don't do it that well. Maybe the message is just for me personally. I don't do it that well. My only hope is that Jesus Christ forgives me. Jesus Christ crucified for me, the King dying for me, willingly. Why do I say that's the message? Well, let's look. The message going out just for a minute. Again, it's short. But John's doing this on purpose. Verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription, and he put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
It's interesting, right? Pagan, unbelieving prelate. That's Pilate. Identifying the key parameters. Jesus of Nazareth, actual person. Someone you know. The king of the Jews. The promised king, that means, right? The Davidic king. The forever king. He's right. And the sign goes up. And look, look what John records. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Isn't that cool? The truth goes out, and many people read it. The word goes out, and it gets to where God wants it to go. It isn't, oh, disciples, you're the only hope for the start of a new religion. It's God's word goes out how he pleases. I mean, they don't want this, right? The Jews. Verse 21. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. It's almost like Proverbs, right? The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God accomplishes what he wants. And so it, what goes out is the message, this message, the king of the Jews, beaten and scourged and scorned and bloodied and put on a cross with the criminals and outcasts, condemned and crucified and murdered wrongly, and this is our king. This is what he's done. And this is the message he wants out. It's not if you reform and ask nicely, then he will like you. Is it? It's not he died for you, so really focus on improving yourself. It's not do really good things that other people can see, so they'll accept Jesus. It's this message. He died as a criminal for you. This picture, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, bloody and torn for you. He finds you worth it. God seeks after you in your wrongness and in your shame and in your weakness. The issue now and forever will be this message. Will you hear this God? Will you hear that he's paid the price for you? That his actions have won the victory? That nothing now or forever within you or without you can keep him from you? Will you hear the word goes out through all the earth. Yeah, I want to break into song. Hallelujah. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, dying on a cross for you. This is Peter's testimony, their salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All of the Bible and all of our lives are through this lens, this simple message this morning. It is the destination that we are aimed for, which is to be with him forever. It is the engine by which we get there, which is his work, his finished work for us. It has shaped God's church here at Grace for 12 years. It's a privilege to proclaim it with all my heart. And we will continue no matter what building or what community, or what surroundings, or what culture, we cannot move from this message, Christ, for you. 
this freedom and unity and transparency, not hiding sin, but in sin forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And the Bible comes alive when you do this. It does. It really does. And I'll I'll end with this. It's just so amazing, right? All of the heroes... Sam has done a series on fallen heroes in the Old Testament, just going through the the Old Testament heroes. Take Moses, murderer. David, adulterer. Pick one. You can't hardly find one. They're not because that's what it is, right? It's fallen people who God is so amazing to forgive. Only Jesus is the hero, and the stories point to him. The law doesn't pat you on the back and say, good job, kid. You're one of the goodies. The law pats you on the back while it slips the knife between your ribs and says, you're condemned. I want to end with this. This is Psalm 15. This is the Psalm of David. I think of David writing this in worship to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who can be with you, Lord? Says he who walks blamelessly and does what is right, speaks the truth in his heart. He doesn't slander with his tongue. He does no evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. Guess we won't see David in heaven. He sent Uriah to his death so he could sleep with his wife. He's not blameless. Know what? Neither are you. And I want to end this way because this is the functional difference of standing on the gospel all the way through. Is that we see this amazing law and it's true. If only I could be blameless and perfect. If only I could never do anything wrong. Then I could be with God. This just echoes Romans 2. Then I could stand on God's holy hill with him. If I could be personally righteous that much. And it is a dead end. It is too late. It was too late for David too. So what's happening with our gospel lenses? We see the one who did fulfill Psalm 15, right? We see the one who stands on God's holy hill because he never did anything wrong. He was a friend to sinners. He was an encourager. He was a healer. And he came to earth and he lived a perfect life. And then he died for you and me. And he says, you can have my righteousness for you given freely by just trusting that I am everything for you. And this is what we stand on today. Not how are you doing this week and, and, and did you sin a little less this week than last. But do you realize that your sins are forgiven? And we share this with each other and we remind ourselves in communion and we rejoice in baptism and we again and again speak the word, which is what? Jesus Christ has done it. It is finished. Stay there with me, will you? It's the truth. Let's pray.